What we're dealing with here, glittering air, is a complete lack of respect for the law and smoking the reef. Call the dust pump. We live in a society of laws. That pump? Yeah. No, that's not real. This thing a weed. Takes one side a weekend to train to get that bag. Here's the here's the rub. I mean, kind of here's the secret sauce, so to speak, when we're looking at a candidate. So what is the secret sauce when it comes to getting through the hiring process, uh, getting a job in law enforcement? And we've talked about this uh, many times on the show before. I get questions about all aspects of the hiring process all the time, whether it's about uh, someone's background, you know, mistakes that they made when they were young and stupid, right? Um, whether it's about going to the boards or the application process, the psychological evaluation, the polygraph, all of that stuff. Tons of questions that come into me all the time. And I've done my best to answer them um, with my knowledge base and experience. And I've been pretty on point uh, based on this conversation. But this conversation is with someone who makes those decisions. The yes or no, we're going to hire this guy or gal, we're going to move them on to the next process or no. Here's your um, thank you for trying letter, but we are not accepting your application at this time. And that is Deputy Chief Dan Flippo of the Santa Cruz Police Department. Uh, Dan has been with Santa Cruz for 29 years. He has been involved in hiring and the promotional process for over seven years and was in charge of hiring all positions for his department for the last three years. Uh, Dan had to oversee the termination of employees as well. And in, in the last 18 months, his department alone has processed about 1,200 applications and only hired 20. Now, if you're thinking those odds aren't great, well, they're not. Uh, they're, in fact, better than they were when I got hired on with my agency, but uh, they're pretty standard. And that means that whatever edge you can get in the hiring process is, uh, is key. It's important to make sure that you're prepared. And uh, this interview will do that. Uh, we touch on all aspects of the hiring process, and Dan really lifts the veil as far as how things work on the other side, what agencies are looking for in uh, young and aspiring police officers, you know, what kind of college degree do they want to see, what experience, what life experience do they like to see, how do you need to present yourself in the interview, um, how to help the, the entire process, especially with the background, how to make that go faster, um, all kinds of uh, just phenomenal uh, tips and insight into this process that we have not had on this show before. So um, I know this is going to be a huge hit with that segment of our audience that uh, is, is so interested in how to be successful in the hiring process. This is that episode. Uh, Dan did an amazing job of taking years worth of questions from our audience and and just knocking one after another out of the park. Uh, we also touch on on other topics outside of just the hiring process. Um, we we talk about decision making in the field, um, some use of force stuff that I think will be interesting for current police officers as well. Um, but 
this is definitely going to be a huge episode for uh, those looking for a career in law enforcement and, and trying to get an edge on the competition because the reality is there is a ton of it out there. Uh, you're going to be competing against hundreds, if not thousands of other applicants for only a few positions uh, in many cases. So uh, I know this one's going to be huge for many of you. Uh, I, I can already read the reply emails from our listeners who are going to get that job with that department that they wanted uh, and they will point to this episode for that i have no doubt so um, if you can't tell i'm really excited about this episode uh, dan was a great guest great conversation and we talked for almost two hours it felt like 10 minutes so i'm extremely confident that you're going to love this episode now before we get started i would be remiss if i didn't remind you to go over to patreon P-A-T-R-E-O-N. I'm sure I can make a cheerleader cheer out of it, but that would be weird. Just go over to Patreon so I don't have to do that and check out our membership program over there. We have three different levels of membership. They all get you access to some amazing stuff. The things that I'm most excited about because it connects me with you are our private chat server and our fitness uh, program on Freeletics. All membership levels have access to both of those benefits. Now, if you go to the middle and higher tiers, you get more um, early release episodes. You get um, access to you know, bonus content, behind-the-scenes videos. And of course, if you sign up for our top tier, you will get our first 50 Police Academy Podcast Limited Edition Tumblr, which I've gotten great feedback so far from those who have received theirs. Uh, I always ask what your first drink is uh, when you get it. So if you do end up with one of those in your greedy little hands, make sure that your first drink is a memorable one. And last but not least, we are giving 10 The Badge Life t-shirts away. These are amazing shirts. I wear mine all the time. And uh, they you definitely want to get your hands on one of those if you can't. Now, it's going to the first 50 members, so you have a 20% chance of winning uh, and that's not to mention the fact that once we hit 50 members, I will have to do something, I'm sure, that will be completely ridiculous and stupid on video at your request. That is the deal. 50 members, when we hit that limit, uh, you or that mark, rather, it is not a limit. We will go much higher than that. But when we hit 50, uh, those members will get to decide my fate. And I will do whatever it is they ask on video and post it for all the world to see. Now, the list of benefits to our members continues to grow uh, by the time this episode releases, which will be about two months after it was first recorded. Uh, I'm sure that list will even will be even better. So just go check it out. It's at p-a-t-r-e-o-n patreon.com. Without further ado, Dan Flippo. All right. So... Dan, thanks for coming on. I, I really appreciate your time. I know it was a headache getting this scheduled, um, and and I know that you're a busy guy. So huge shout out! Thank you for coming on. Um, and we'll we'll try to get through this without taking too much time. But this is really a huge topic uh, for this show and our audience. I've had questions over since this show started four years oh yeah, about four years ago. Um, on this topic and you're the first to come on from a position of where where you're actually doing this right now 
to kind of let people see behind the veil on this. And that's, that's kind of how I see it. I, I remember being in those shoes, um, looking toward becoming an officer and you don't know what's on the other side. And it's, it's really scary. You know, people fear what they don't understand. So I'm, I'm hoping that we can kind of take some of that mysteriousness out of this process. Uh, because once you're on the other side, it's, it's not that big of a deal. It's like, you know, this is what you do. You walk in there, you present yourself in this way, you answer the questions like this, this is what you need to know. It, it's not rocket science once you've done it. But a lot of these, um, a lot of our listeners haven't done it. So um, I'm hoping that's what we can accomplish today. And I want to start by hitting uh, one of the big ones. And that is how can people stand out in the hiring process? And, and I've seen people do this and they look like uh, they just look like suck up. So how can they do that without um, seeming artificial? Yeah, uh, well, one, don't be artificial. Uh, be genuine on who you're presenting uh, to the agency. Mm-hmm. But really, I, I think the real standouts that, that come across that when they apply or when they interview are the ones that have really kind of done their homework ahead of time. And what do I mean by that? Um, one, that they're able to articulate that they have an understanding of the job. Mm-hmm. What do I mean? What do I mean by that? Because for example, you, you know, people see stuff on TV. Now there's live PD and all that, but you got to realize that there's, you know, hundreds of hours of cut film and there's all this other stuff that goes in behind the job, whether it's community engagement, um, just some of the mundane parts of police work. Uh, and so some people come in and they say, I'll give you an example. Some people come in and they say, Hey, you know, part of what attracts me is I want to help child uh, victims of crime. Mm-hmm. Excellent calling. Excellent. I mean, yes, uh, who doesn't, but you got to understand that's probably over your career, unless you're assigned as like a child abuse or a child sex investigator, that's like 3% of your job. Mm-hmm. So if that's what you present, like, Hey, I want to do this. So knowing all the facets uh, of the job, what it means to interview people, what it means to be uh, at public meetings, what it means to uh just walk in a neighborhood and, and talk to the different businesses. Um, and then what does it mean to also deal with uh, the naked guy that's going uh, crazy in your downtown? And then uh, what does it mean to be scrutinized by the public when you deal with the same person and the use of force doesn't look that well. Mm-hmm. And that seems like a lot for somebody who hasn't done the job, but uh there's a lot out there just, just by Google searching, um, you know, the, the job, I mean, uh, you know, police one.com. There's all these other websites out there that can kind of give you a broader picture of what the whole job is. Mm-hmm. And so that's one aspect. Um, the second part is when you're applying, you're applying uh, for a department, whether it's a County city, federal, whatever you're applying for a specific, um, department, Mm -hmm. you really need to do your research on that department and know what their initiatives are, what their problems are. Um, I'll give you an example. Like we, we we're where I work is a beach community, a lot of tourism. So we do have a traffic problem, but when we ask somebody like, Hey, what's a major issue? What's some major crime issues associated with Santa Cruz? That's what they presented. Well, you guys are a tourist town. You have traffic. 
you know, if they would have done a simple Google search on the city of Santa Cruz, say, they would have seen that, uh, you know, we have homeless issues, we have gang shootings, we have, uh, I mean, we had 19 shootings last year. So to present uh, an issue such as like traffic uh, really tells me that you haven't done your homework on the department and, and what we're uh, kind of what we're facing and then what our major initiatives are. And that, that makes you stand out when you know, like, hey, the chief just implemented this uh, neighborhood policing teams and they're doing this and doing X. It tells us that you've invested a little bit into the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of covered this one briefly is knowing the jurisdiction, knowing what problems they're facing, knowing what uh, kind of the demographics are or the problems that the community is presenting and how you as the individual are going to fit into all those three. How are you going to fit into the job of policing? How are you going to fit into this department as far as uh, helping them with their mission? And then how are you going to help the community in facing the problems that they face? And so really, I think if you present yourself at every stage, whether it's the oral interview, the background interview, whatever, kind of with that knowledge, Mm -hmm. that candidate is so strong right off the bat and 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 we understand like coming in in here at least for I, well I, I talk to people that hire all over the state of california and so it's the same thing like we don't expect you to come in here with a law background like mm-hmm. knowing but but we do expect you to have a minimum understanding that uh, uh, again researching the department the jurisdiction the job all stuff that you can get on the internet mm-hmm. which going back <laughs> 30 years ago, we all had to get by doing the legwork. Right. I it's, mean, it's easy when to I find got that hired, information now. Go ahead. Yeah, it's easy to find that information now. Correct. Yeah, I had to physically go down and find out what the city's makeup was and check in and flagged a couple of cops down. Hey, what's going on in your agency? That stuff wasn't available. Now it's all there. So if you're not taking advantage of gathering that information and preparing how you're going to present that information back, mm-hmm. um, then, then you're kind of shortchanging yourself in that hiring process. Right. Um, no, I think you highlight a great point, and that is if a candidate shows up with these simple things, they are, they're a great candidate right, off, right out the gates. And if you think about how easy it is to find that information, I mean, that's a, that's a no-brainer. That's, that's a couple hours a day for a week leading up into your panel interview and you're going to stand out already just by knowing these three things, know the job, know the department and know the jurisdiction. Um, now one thing that helps you stand out, uh, that takes a lot longer is a college degree. Um, but everyone always wants to know what degree, you know, they ask me, what degree do you recommend? And I, the first thing I always say is I don't recommend a criminal justice degree for a lot of reasons, but, um, what, what types of degrees do stand out and, and why, and, um, and then what else in the process of going to, you know, getting that degree in those four years, uh, can people do to, to kind of set themselves apart? Yeah, that's excellent. So the short answer is, doesn't matter the four year degree, as far as it really doesn't matter. Now, are there some degrees that have a little bit more enticement, um, yeah, I think like sociology degrees, um, mm-hmm. you know, the study of human dynamics. Some people we've had psycho, uh, psychology degrees, you know, those are like, wow, that's really a study of people's minds. And But again, I will tell you, we get all your college, I mean, um, 
when you you have to turn in your college transcripts, you know, we usually don't look at the degree. We usually bypass that. What we look at is what was your total GPA? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, were you a were you a good student? Uh, because law enforcement more and more is becoming academic. I mean, everything you do, you have to be able to document. You have to be able to research your actions uh, and, and all that. And so just the overall academia of going to college is very important to us. And, and, and I would say about a third, if not more, of a police academy is just simple academia. You know, you're learning laws, you're learning case laws, probably more than that, but mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the first study of that. So um, I think it's less about what degree, it's what, what did you um, do while you're in college? Again, did you, it, it doesn't mean you have to be the smartest person, but did you, you know, uh, were there a lot of failed classes? Were there a lot of dropped classes? Those question, uh, can lead us to question your commitment level once you've set uh, out on trying to achieve something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think things that actually, when you're in college, uh, you know, we talk about a lot, a lot of times people will interview and they'll talk about their college experience, but they'll forget things that are uh, important. Like if they're on a sports team, uh, law enforcement and police thing in general is a team sport. I mean, we, we teach you to be a solo person out there, uh, most departments, a solo person in a car, Mm -hmm. but you have to recognize when you need a team. And so being in team sports or some sort of team dynamics, I don't care if it was the chess team, how did that, what did that, that, that sense of teamwork and creating, or, or if you worked uh, in your degree, you actually did some field work with a team for, uh, you know, some projects that you had to complete for courses. That's that's incredibly important because that shows that you can integrate into a team, work within a team, but then also hold up your end of the bargain as part of that team member. Um, and then a, a, another really important thing is, is there any volunteer work or kind of like civil service work? Because mm-hmm. a lot of our job in policing is, believe it or not, is customer service, you know, um, we can go out and arrest all these great criminals and 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 just be a, a total crime fighter. But if we don't, if we forget about the community and forget about providing them service, uh, or even when people call us and need our help and we can't relate in a customer service model because we're so more interested in going and ch- chasing the next crook, that becomes an issue uh, and, and departments uh, and officers can lose kind of the faith in their community. So. Um, for us, knowing that you've got this kind of sense of service or that you've put yourself out there um, in college or in high school or something like that, kind of doing something that was uh, serving the public community, a group, uh, that that I know for my agency, uh, we value that highly. Yeah. And so, you know, it sounds like, and this is kind of where I've always pushed people, um, you said psychology and, and sociology, if, if you're going to pick one or you know, a couple fields that, uh, that are good and useful for law enforcement, but it sounds mostly like you're just looking to see, can this person, um, can they solve problems? Can they accomplish things and be responsible? Um, so, you know, we've got a lot of questions from people who are already in a field that required a degree, but they're, they're being drawn to law enforcement, you know, they're pastors, they're teachers, they're coming from fields that completely don't relate. Um, how do those 
and I, I know you've seen plenty of these. How do those kind of uh, strike you when you see that application? Well, one of the things we probably should have started off is, is when you talk about seeing applications, we're seeing less of them. I just saw a statistic across the nation that mm -hmm. uh, law enforcement applications are down. And I forget the period of time, so forgive me, but they're down like 63%. Mm -hmm. So the benefit for everybody trying to get hired is that, uh, you know, I'm not saying that we're less, we're not scrutinizing less, but there's less people applying. So some of these things like, oh, not interested, those don't exist anymore. So again, it used to be have more of an administration of justice or criminal justice background. Um, none of that matters anymore. In fact, I think there's more value, me personally, and the people that I've hired that come from different walks of life. You, you mentioned school teachers. I mean, uh, they, they have a unique value set. They already can communicate. They can already uh, deal with sometimes difficult uh, situations, whether it's students or, the, or worse off, the parents of the students. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, but even if you're like in your construction, I mean, uh, God bless all the people that are out there building things because we need it. And, and, but if you're in that and you showed strong work ethic and when we call you or call your employer, which we're going to call everyone and they're like, Hey, that guy or gal was the go-to person. Um, they showed strong work ethic. They weren't flighty. They weren't flaky. They, they uh, were, were true to their word. That speaks volumes more that so than what the job was. Uh, and so I think we actually now want a diverse background of people in uh, men and women that are working uh, on the street. And so whatever job you have now, be good at it, be reliable, um, you know, stick, stick to your word as far as, you know, if you're, you know, don't have a uh, horrible uh, attendance rate for your, for your, your jobs. And, uh, and then, more importantly, when you're looking at your past experience, the past jobs that you've had, what character traits, what leadership traits did those build in you? Mm. And you want to be able to present back to the group. Um, you know, when I was in construction, I did that before I, I, I started there as a painting contractor. And, you know, just being reliable, being able to work with uh, other people, uh, for some of the homeowners being able to work with people that were disappointed how something looked or, you know, they didn't like their color, whatever it was that you put on their house that they picked. Um, again, that's not as much as conflict that you deal with in law enforcement as far as we always think about, you know, the violent aspects or use of force as being the conflict. But but that type of conflict is very similar. We're dealing with people that call the police and have an expectation. And sometimes we can't meet that expectation. So if you've had a job where you've had similar responses, where you've had to deal with people that were not happy with how your company delivered or something like that, that is invaluable experience to mm -hmm. law enforcement. And if you don't bring that to the table when you're discussing, or you don't kind of document that on your resume or don't present that in your oral boards, again, uh, you're really, uh, you're shortchanging yourself and, and not providing us, the hirers, as that glimpse of all those character traits and strengths that you're bringing, uh, regardless of your background, of what, what you've done as far as uh, jobs or job titles. Right. Um, and you mentioned that the numbers have gone down, and that is 
that's a question I had for you. Um, so have things changed as far as, um, have standards changed? And, and this doesn't necessarily mean just your agency. Uh, obviously, um, you, you've been in this long enough, you know, guys from all over the place and gals that work in all other, all kinds of agencies. So I'm sure you have a little bit of a pulse on what's going on. Um, have standards changed as far as, um, you know, marijuana use, like, I know a lot of departments used to, that used to be an automatic DQ, at least within the last five years. And now it's kind of like, or, or a marijuana arrest, right? And some departments have kind of pushed that one aside because they're realizing, well, that doesn't mean this guy is a career criminal, um, may have done some stupid things when, when he was younger in California, um, it's legal. So, uh, how, how do you guys address that and, and have standards changed? Yeah, definitely standards uh, have changed, especially with like marijuana. I mean, it's legal in California. So, you know, if you're in college right now and you're of age or you have a card, whatever, um, and and you're using marijuana, that used to be a, a, a DQ for us. And now it's not. It's not a disqualifier because the legislative body. Now, I think with most um, most anything, whether it's alcohol or drugs, I think it's length, uh, how much you are using. Uh, for what period of time, because um, that that can come into questions of uh, maybe you, here's the here's the rub. I mean, kind of here's the secret sauce, so to speak. When we're looking at a candidate that says has has had a, a drug history or an alcohol uh, use, uh, you know, maybe they've been clean and sober for an extended period of time, and 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 that's great. Uh, what we have to look at is this job is a very rewarding and challenging and fun job, but it also can eat you alive. Meaning, uh, you know, psychologically, emotionally, uh, physically, the demands of the job. Mm-hmm. And, and so we want to make sure that when we're hiring somebody that, uh, that, that past problem doesn't creep in when everything's good now, but what happens if, life crumbles and we can't always predict it, but it's, I think it's overall looking at the total uh, picture, you know, what was that level of, of use of, even if it's alcohol and how consistent was it and what stressors I will say, um, and I'll go back to your standards question in just a minute, but I will say, I think law enforcement's also recognizing, I know at least for in my area and in talking to some other people hiring is that if you've had hiccups in your life in a lot of ways, we actually like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, not because if you have been faced with some adversity or you've made some mistakes and we can clearly see that there's been growth and there's been change in that act, that's actually much better than somebody who's experienced nothing. Right. They haven't applied themselves. They've done really nothing. And I'm not saying we don't hire. There's, I had a pretty clean background when I got hired. I was really young. I got hired at 21. So mm-hmm. trying to prove that, Hey, I was, I was, uh, you know, capable and mature enough to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, some people think, well, you need a squeaky clean background. I actually look more suspect on somebody that's got zero in their background because they may have to go, their first call out of the shoot can be this very violent domestic or something like that. And they've got to make decisions, create command presence and all that. And they've got to have some fortitude, some, some experience that they can rely on to go into that situation because as you know, have you know, being a police officer, you don't get that in training. You don't get that. Like, I mean, you get some scenario-based training, mm-hmm. but that that self-confidence to go into a very uh, 
uncertain situation and make a decision. So uh, that is important. So bringing people that have had some adversity, uh, even some drug use, it, 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 it depends. If, if they've truly turned their life around and can come before and say, hey, I've, I've done this and that was a big mistake and here's the changes that I made in my life and they've been lasting changes. Uh, if we can see that, then a lot of times we actually look uh, favorable on some of those candidates because we think like, man, they're bringing uh, some, some good experience uh, and depth to their personality to this job, which uh, will challenge, uh, you know, will challenge you at times. All right. Uh, I'm glad that you said that. I, I, I get these questions all the time. You know, people who send me their past mistakes and they're like, am I DQ'd? Am I, can I get a job in law enforcement? And I tend to be pretty encouraging along those lines of like, listen, everybody makes mistakes. What matters is that you learned from it and you have moved on and matured from it. Um, my grandfather said something to me one time that I'll never forget. He's a retired state trooper. And he said, the only people who never make mistakes are the people who never do anything. And there's a, there's so much truth in that. If you're living life and you're, you're out there trying to get stuff done, trying to make a difference, you know, provide for your family, whatever it is, um, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to find yourself in places that you probably don't want to admit later on when you apply to that police agency. But how can you explain what you learned from it and how you've grown and, and time um, I, I always tell people time is your ally. If you can show you've got, um, you know, five years between now and when you were doing stupid things, that's a lot better than saying, well, I used to do this. And then they say, well, when's the last time you did that? And it's like, uh, two months ago, that doesn't look very good. Um, and, and what, what for you, what kind of time frame are you looking for to see that they've got that you can trust that they've kind of moved on in life? Yeah, that, that's a hard question. I, I, that's a hard question to answer because it really, it's, it is situational and overall history. So if, you know, say somebody um, uh, used alcohol significantly from a very early age on and they continued and then they made some uh, bad decisions uh, on top of that alcohol use, mm -hmm. um, then, then, then they, they kind of had a break and then now they've built stability in their life, but over kind of, it's not just the amount of time, it's what they've done with that stability. If you've built that stability, but you went from job to job, to job, to job, that kind of questions that stability in your life or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, relationships, how are your relationships? Have you mended relationships? Cause you, cause remember when we, a backgrounder talks to everybody you list, mm -hmm. they have to, at least, in, at least you know, in our agency. So I don't think there's a single set time. I, I think here's one key when whatever your history is, you have to be a hundred percent honest about it. Mm -hmm. um, people try at times to, to, to soft shoe and downplay things because your history is your history. Um, and some of these questions you can ask most agencies have uh 
not somebody like at my level. I mean, I, I oversee the hiring, but they'll have like a supervisor or somebody that's in that hiring. And so mm-hmm. when you're in those uh, conversations, you can have a conversation with that person, call them up and say, hey, you know, this is what's in my background. Can I talk to you about it? Uh, and sometimes they'll talk to you. Mo- I mean, not every agency will, but uh, I think a lot of the, I think that's the agencies make mistakes when they don't do that. I, but, you know, you can find out right out. And sometimes they'll just tell you, well, hey, submit it and we'll look into it. And that's the best they, they can tell you. Other times they'll actually have a con and get, you'll be able to add some context. Or say you make it into the process and you go to your background investigator. That's the time to have some of those conversations. I think one of the mistakes people make um, is when they apply, you know, the chances that you apply for a single agency in your first agency and get hired um, didn't happen to me. It doesn't happen to a lot of people. And, and so there's the rub. Uh, does an agency want you just to apply to one agency and show, hey, we're all in with you? Um, some agencies, I hate to say it, are that way. I wish I had clear direction. Um, my agency, it's, it's, I'm less concerned if you've applied because if you really want a job in law enforcement, you're probably going to go where you think you want to work. And there, that might be a couple different agencies. It's just the higher or further along you get into the process, you better start showing a more of a commitment to the agency that you truly want to work for, it, whether through its ride-alongs or being responsive in the background as quick as possible. Um, what, going back to my mistake is if you apply in different agencies and what is in your background is not consistent on what's called your personal history statement or whatever background paperwork they give you, if you're not consistent in uh, whatever, you know, whatever you report that's in your history, if you're not consistent in that, you got to understand that when we do a background, we actually call those other agencies that you've applied with or have applied with and we get a copy of what you submitted to them. And if mm-hmm. there's inconsistencies there, that's usually, a, it, it kills the process right there. I mean, we just say, oh, is this an integrity issue? The person's reporting one thing to this agency and another thing to this agency. Uh, and that could be just a go right there. We just stop the process and send you a letter that says, I'm sorry, you're, you're, you're no longer qualified. Right. Yeah. People ask a lot about the polygraph, uh, for example, and you know, it might be a something they did as a juvenile, the record's sealed. Technically, they don't have to admit it. And I'm just like, listen, if you just tell the truth and and are just you, that's your best shot. And that's that's the easiest way to go about it. Um, what are some other common mistakes that people make? And we talked about a little bit about background. Um, let's touch on the panel. You know, say they've their packet's been accepted at least you know, you're interested enough to bring them in and, and see them face to face, ask them some questions. Um, what do you see people making, uh, or what mistakes do you see people making that are, are obvious, uh, and common? Okay. For, as far as the panel interview goes, one thing is you are testing for a professional job. Mm-hmm. So please present yourself professionally. That doesn't mean you have to have the nicest suit. I understand that some people financially are barely getting by, uh, but you know, a, a collared shirt and tie uh, goes a long way versus a, a t-shirt and, and flip-flops. And I've seen that and it's like, uh, so again, cause we're uniformed, it, we have a professional image out in the field that we're supposed to uphold. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when, the first, first thing, that first impression, you come in, you know, and, and you look uh, professional. 
Um, as far as the interview goes, one thing, and I can't encourage this enough, try to relax. We all know you're going to be nervous. I think more and more agencies are getting away from, I can't speak across the board, but more and more are getting away from trying to create a stressful interview um, because that used to be the case. They would kind of try to stress the candidate out and see how they could handle it. And uh, unfortunately, what we learned is I think sometimes uh, just because of nerves, we didn't truly get to know probably some really good candidates. And so we're looking at, uh, and in talking to other agencies, Maya, you know, we're looking at like, hey, how do we help minimize some of that stress? I mean, talking to a panel is stressful anyway. So with that, I encourage everybody that's going through that. We all know you're nervous. So just try to relax as much as you can. And if you prepare uh, yourself for the interview and kind of go over things, you're going to be that much uh, better. I do have two things that you know are going to come up in every interview that you need to prepare for. Mm -hmm. Those, uh, those two questions or the things that you know are going to come up is your first question out of every interview, every interview I've ever sat. And I've sat on interviews for other agencies. First thing I ask is, Hey, what training and experience do you have? What, uh, what have you done to prepare something about like, Hey, you know, what have you done to prepare for this job? What experience do you have that's going to allow you to be in this, whatever job you're testing for in law enforcement? And unfortunately, I think a lot of people really, you know, that question's coming and a lot of people aren't prepared for it. Mm -hmm. And so if I can give you some, if I can give everybody some suggestions, uh, one, don't give us your whole resume. Your resume is important, but that doesn't tell us about your character. So hit a real quick you know, two to three minutes on, on this is everything. Cause some agencies, you got to understand when you go before the oral interview, they've some agencies don't allow the panel to see your background. So don't assume that they know everything about you. Some, sometimes they don't, mm -hmm. they don't know anything about you. So it's that first impression. Um, and then, and then that first question of how you open up. So go through your resume and this is what's really helped me. And, and I've interviewed, obviously, not just to get hired, but then through several promotional panels, um, is what do I want this panel to know about me? What, what, is, the, what is the characteristics that I want to know? Uh, you know, am, am I a team player? Uh, am I a good communicator? Am I all those things? So you have your resume, and then you kind of want to be able to, with that first question, open the door of like, hey, I'm a good leader. Hey, uh, you know, I'm a good communicator. Hey, I have a, a great sense of uh, trust with the community, whatever it is, uh, you know, mm -hmm. that I, uh, I have integrity. Um, and it's not just about saying those things. The trick is through your past experience, what characteristics do you have? What leadership uh, traits do you have? And, and how do you present those to the panel? And that's a question that you can practice. You can look in the mirror go over it and go, you know what, that sounded totally corny. You don't have to, you don't want to memorize it. You don't want to come in and just like be like an automaton and just read something off. But really, uh, if I, I, I see when people do it really well, it's, it's almost like they come in there and go, I want this to panel to know this about me. This is the person that they're getting when they hire me. Mm -hmm. and, and so each individual is going to have to figure out that message, but you know, the first question is going to be exactly on point of, of, of is going to open the door for you to present that information. And then the last question of every panel is, Hey, that's the end of our interview. Is there anything else you'd like to add? 
Mm-hmm. And I hear so many, I hear so many people say no. And it's like, so my recommendation, I think I said um, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure I said no. It's like, well, no, I don't know. What, what do you want? <laughs> so, well, you still got hired. So, hey, I, yeah, get on I do. But, um, <laughs> But what makes a really good interview is when they're prepared for that first question. And then that sec- that last question, is there anything else you want to add? That's where, for me personally, I always went through that mental checklist. Okay, I wanted them to know these five things about me. And I hit all these, but I didn't hit those. So, hey, you know, one of the things that, uh, I'll just use this as an example. One of the things that, uh, you know, didn't kind of come up is, is I've had the ability to mentor other people and kind of give that experience. Um, of, of how I've mentored people and leave the panel with something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you can, I'm telling you, the ones that knock it out of the park are prepared for that first question and, and, and they have a genuine answer to it. And then at the end of the interview, they kind of just sum it up, wrap it up. They, they cover any points that they feel they missed, but they're also, they don't ramble on. They just concisely hit it. Boom. And, uh, and those are two very softball questions that are coming uh, to you and, very, very often people just let us go by. They let that, that open door go away. <laughs> yeah. That second one, I, I can't remember. I know, I know I got asked that question because the second you said, it, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm getting flashbacks, but I can't remember what the heck I said. Um, I was probably ready to get the heck out of there and, and that I didn't have an answer for it. Um, what about, um, like in-home, do you guys do in-home visits? So in, in California, and again, forgive me, I'm not with standards across the nation, but in California, they require it. So the okay. state requires that there are in-home visits. Um, mm. And when you talk about in-home visits, it's like not, if you have a spouse, they're going to contact them or whatever, but also like we have to do neighborhood checks. So we're going to go knock on your neighbor's door and <laughs> and find out, are you a good neighbor or not? So Here's a little secret. So you, you know that's coming. Here's, here's another thing that can really help speed you up and make you, you talked about the very first question, what can I do to stand out? Mm. When, once you get your interview done and they actually move you into background, that's usually the next phase into background. Reach out to everybody that you listed as a contact, probably not your employer yet if you're not ready to give notice, but to everybody else, like your, your neighbors, people that you know they're going to contact and say, hey, I've applied for this job a background investigators could call, could you please return that call or contact them as soon as possible? That's really going to help me out. And when that happens, man, it makes that whole background process super smooth. And we can usually tell because people will tell the background investigator, oh yeah, yeah, they called me and, you know, didn't tell me what to say, but, but gave me a heads up your call. And so I wanted to get right back to you. Um, you know, with that, a lot of processes are about three to four months sometimes to hire. I had one candidate, we got hired from start day, submitted application to uh, got the job within seven weeks. That was everything, Mm -hmm. every process. And part of it was, I told them just that, hey, call every one of your people and and let them be responsive to us so that we can get this background done quickly. And, And that candidate went out and did that and that just sped everything up. And then it's like, hey, this is a real smooth background you've got to understand whether it's an in-house background investigator or like my agency contracts background uh, investigators, that information gets back to the hiring chief or the hiring Lieutenant. Mm-hmm. That information gets back like, Hey, they've, they've kind of greased the skids on this one and, and, and you know, let everybody, uh, you know, they, everybody was super responsive in this background. Uh, so uh, 
I hope that helps uh, as far as like kind of those in-home visits and how you can set that up for success. Don't tell the people what to say because that, that that won't look good. But as far as giving them a heads up to, to call. Yeah, I mean, the reality is you're, if you as an applicant are doing that, you're making the people who are in part responsible for you getting the job, you're making their job easier. It's like sending them a batch of you know, chocolate chip cookies. It's like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's a way of making them or helping them like you, um, as a candidate because they don't know anything about you other than how easy this process is because you've done, you've done them a favor by, by saying, like, as you said, greasing the skids, giving these people a heads up, Hey, you know, be prompt, call them back. Um, this is coming. Um, now I imagine obviously in background investigations, you're going to look into social media because nowadays everyone's on social media. You're looking at right now you're hiring millennials for the most part and they, they live on social media. So um, what kind of advice do you have as far as, you know, for candidates going in as far as how they should handle their social media accounts and what should, what should they expect from the background investigator as far as like how deeply are they going to look into their social media accounts? Well, uh, I will tell you that every bas- background investigator is going to ask you specifically what accounts you have by name mm-hmm. so that they can lick them up. And so if you have something and you don't disclose it, um, believe me, we have tools that search public uh information so we'll find it the background investigators will find if there's some account somehow associated to you or i mean uh i know millennials don't use facebook but you know uh but instagram even like snapchat tiktok those are supposed to go away but we all know that sometimes they don't they get shared or whatever like that so it's not so much we expect that everybody has a social media account because police departments live and breathe by social media now as well Mm um but it's just what you, what you do it's that same message you know i mean if if you don't want your mom reading about it then don't post it on social media because it's probably something questionable that you probably don't want law enforcement uh or or when you're your hiring agency to to, to know you know so mm-hmm. you know it, it can be a mistake you know you're at college and you're at the frat house and and you're hammered and there's all those videos uh you know but those those just don't do you any favors so if you're thinking like you're in college and you're thinking about a uh a law enforcement uh, career, that stuff does matter. And so what gets posted, you've got to, you've got to have some care over that. Cause, cause again, the one thing social media uh, is going to show is, is character and it's going to show, you know, potentially uh, uh, some, some side of you that maybe is not a, a true representation of you, but it, mm-hmm. it could co- create a glimpse of, Oh, maybe that is a, a part of that person. Uh, and then, so you know, and again, I know that social media is getting more and more to where it's like instant and it's supposedly removed, but, but you know, screenshots happen, all that other stuff happens and it gets shared and, 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 yeah. and believe me, we'll find it. They'll, they'll find it. The backgrounders, you know, they're not these investigators we have, we hire usually our career law enforcement investigators anyway. So they, they know the channels and they have access to, uh, you know, uh, different softwares that can pull this, this data, uh, out there. So. You just got to be honest with it and up front. Yeah. And aside from that, I don't know if you guys do this. I know it happened to me. Um, some of our listeners who have been chatting on our, our private chat server that we have for our members um, have been talking about how agencies will, you know, the investigator will be like, are you, will you hand me your phone? 
so I can see what's in your, um, your social media accounts so that they can actually see from your own login, from your profile, what, what you've been sending direct, um, private messages, everything. Um, they, I know they did that with me with, at the time it was Facebook. I'm, you're dating me. I'm old (laughs) compared to most of these guys that are, that are coming up. Um, yeah, they, they asked for my Facebook password and of course I'm going to give it to them because if I don't, which I had nothing to hide, first of all, but if I, if I said, no, I don't want you looking into my stuff. Um, that's, I would assume is going to be a huge red flag for that investigator. It may, it may DQ you right off right. the bat, it may disqualify you. They may say, Hey, they're not providing the information we're requesting. Right. And then you're, you're done. So I would, what you said, and I am thinking back, not every one of our background investigators, but I know two of the three that we have, will do that. Hey, let me see your phone. What's mm-hmm. your password? Uh, I'm just going to look at a couple of your social medias while you're sitting there in the room. Right. So but. that seems like the easiest and quickest way to, to kind of go through it. You know, it's like, you know, if they say no, then see you later and if they if they let you into those accounts then you can kind of see everything right there um is there anything else that kind of stands out on this topic of you know most common mistakes uh that yeah, we I, haven't touched on yeah i have a couple um so one you talked about uh uh things that have changed uh since the recession in 2008 2009 uh financial stuff mm. is uh is kind of being forgiven. So if you've had, I mean, back when I got hired, um, uh, you know, if you had any bankruptcy or anything like that, uh, you, or, you know, had something go to collections, it was automatically DQ. We've, we've loosened up on that a lot. It just depends on, are you showing a level of responsibility uh, financially? And so Mm -hmm. if you have that in your background, don't worry about it, but you do have to be concerned that you show that you have some, uh, not necessarily financial security, meaning life may be rough. You may not have a lot of money. You may come from, you know, life's been hard on you. And and so we're not, uh, but as long as you've been, uh, I I guess, reliable with your money and and, and trustworthy with uh, how you've, you know, you haven't got yourself, you don't overexpend your means because uh, that's a red flag. I think one of the other mistakes that people make is you know that they're going to ask you for your your driver's license history, your your uh, transcripts. There's a bunch of uh, your uh, for all of us males are going to ask, did you register for selective service? Because uh, that's a federal requirement. Not a- every agency says you have to but but if you have registered for selection uh, service you've got to show proof of that uh and so you can prepare and enhance once you start applying kind of looking at okay uh they may need my dmv history they need they're gonna ask for your transcripts so start working on that sooner than later because one of the things that holds up backgrounds that we've actually passed on people is is failure to turn in that information like they, well, I'm still trying to get it from my school. It's like, well, okay, it's been a month, so yeah. we're moving on to the next candidate. So, you know, uh, know that information's coming. And if you want to know, like, well, what information are they going to ask me? I mean, that that also is information you can usually find whether it's on an agency's website, just in the hiring process. Like some agencies require your driver's license history at the time of application. So before you even start filling out the application, you're going to have to get it from your uh, DMV and, and start getting that process. So, right. uh, yeah, and that that's a first of all, dealing with anything government is going to be a pain in the ass and take forever. Um, so get used to that. Absolutely. Um, and 
and, and this may be one reason why a lot of people don't get hired with their first agency because it's the first time you've done it. You're fumbling around trying to get all this stuff put together, and and yeah, it it, it does um, not look as great on you know from the department side of it, the agency side of it, because you're not as responsive, you're not as quick. But by the next you know the second time that you do it, it's like you've already got it all, so it's a lot easier. Um, and that's something I, I've, I've told our listeners a hundred times. Like if you don't get hired on your first try, then don't worry about it. Like that might not be the right place for you. Um, I completely just, dis- I destroyed my first interview. It was with the sheriff himself. And, um, and in the long run, I'm extremely grateful that I didn't get that job because I, I wouldn't have wanted to work for that agency anyways. Um, so yeah, people just, Listen, if you don't make it on the first try, just try again. That's that's part of life. Uh, you got to pick yourself up and just keep moving. Hey, brother, we're the, we're the exact same because my first interview with an agency completely bombed it completely. <laughs> yes. Just just they, I'm surprised they didn't throw me out of the door. But uh, and I kept it down and applied for the agency I'm with now, and and it all worked out. You know, 29 years later. So you know, I honestly believe, and then listen to a lot of people we hire, you know, it's pretty rare unless you've got a distinct relationship with that agency that, uh, that, you know, you apply to your first agency and you get hired. I mean, cause usually it's those mistakes we're talking about. The oral interview doesn't go right. So you learn from it next time, or right. you weren't prepared for some process and you learn from it. So there is some tenacity. Yeah. Hey, this is your show. But we can go back. Can we go back to one thing about college and then the military? We haven't talked about those two things. Yeah, absolutely. And this is this is my philosophy. And so I, I can't again, I can't speak for every agency. But when we talked about the college degree or you talked about military, uh, you know, whatever their MOS is or whatever their specialty was. Here's part of what I do encourage people is if you're in the military, you're going to college. Um, I would also law enforcement's what you want to do, but also get yourself a degree or get that military experience that's going to carry into something else. Um, because uh, it, it may not work out for you. Mm-hmm. You know, we, uh, I think I said, I don't know if you're going to have this, you know, but you know, we go through the last two years, 1200 applicant applications and we hired 20 people. So not everybody that applies for law enforcement or even wants to get into it is going to get into it. Um, so you kind of want to have a backup plan. Um, and, and again, as I said earlier, we don't really, we don't really like for the military, whatever your specialty was in the military, just have been good at it, you know? So, cause we're going to come all your, call your commanding officers. We're going to, we're going to dig into that. And if they say, yeah, man, I, I totally recommend them. And, you know, would have loved him or her still in my unit. That's, that's really all we need to hear. And mm-hmm. so um, I've had several, younger you know guys that are going into the military said hey you know should i work uh military police or some investigations i say absolutely not you know go do whatever you want to do even be a mechanic you know because even think about this too in law enforcement you may do the job for a while and get injured and have something else to fall back on or you may do the job for a while and then you realize hey my shift works pretty sweet i could actually do this other thing on the side if my agency will help me Mm -hmm. so my advice is kind of kind of build your resume across the board and then, uh, you know, it could help you get into the job and then it could help you also have something to fall back on, uh, in the future. Right. Um, yeah, hundred percent. I, I'm always kind of pushing people away from, 
criminal justice degrees for that reason, because it does pigeonhole you into one thing. And listen, a four-year degree, simply riding on the hopes that you're going to get a job when you're done is, is, is risky. Um, and life is risk, but, um, yeah, I a hundred percent agree. Diversify, learn something Mm -hmm. that you can apply outside of law enforcement as well. Um, it sounds like I was going to say the same thing. (laughs) You know, you said you got on when you were 21, you seem to have proved that you're mature enough. And that was kind of the same boat I was in. Now, did you come straight out of college into law enforcement or what was your path before? Mm -hmm. Okay. You may have well, said that no, earlier. I, I was still in college. Uh, okay. Actually, you know, I, I moved to Santa Cruz with three hundred dollars a surfboard and thought I was going to be a school teacher. And <laughs> my brother was my my brother was a cop, and and it seemed interesting. So while I was working, I was actually volunteering at a high school, helping out with this high school group. And again, that volunteer work again, a sense of service for me. I think because of my age, I, I wasn't living with mom and dad. Hard. Not, you know, financially, some people have to live, they get out of college, they got no money, they got no job. So they have to live with mom and dad. Again, it comes down to total life experience. I think for me, what helped getting hired so young is I had college, I was a pretty good student, I had done some extra other work, my nose was pretty clean, but I had some life experience. So I think they took a risk on me. And I looking back, I've only in my career hired, I think two other 21 year olds, but again, very similar. They kind of had a depth of life experience uh, because we're not looking for, you know, not so- looking for somebody that just lived at home, really did n- nothing. And then, Oh, I think I want to be a police officer. And so give me a shot. Um, you, you know, if that's your background, I hate to say it, you're probably not going to get hired because we're all going to want to know like, Hey, well, is there something else to you besides uh, as you said, it with no risk, no experience. Well then, all right, well, okay, then there's really not too much to you. So we're probably not going to take that chance. Right. So community service, volunteering, being good at what whatever you do, um, those are all uh, great things to have in your toolkit when you go to apply. But what a, I, I get a lot of questions on what um, agencies are going to expect in fitness, but in fitness is, is an easy one. Obviously, just, just be... Uh, a fit human being be in shape. Um, but what about hand to hand combat or defensive tactics? Uh, a lot of people want to, and you know, MMA is a huge thing now, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, but, uh, are there certain styles that departments like to see or does it matter? You know, I, I so I'm from California, right? So, <laughs> I think for us, it's not, it's not as, it's not as critical. The only reason I say that, because I, I do look at, I do know that there's like some state, state trooper jobs mm-hmm. and, 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 and I mean, think of a state trooper, they're, they're patrolling, you know, if, if you're in New Mexico out on the highway, you're probably by yourself for a long time. So when they're hiring those candidates, I'm just throwing that agency out there, but, uh, but you know, they, they're going to want to know that somebody can take care of themselves where, I'll tell you for my agency, you know, your closest cover is probably 30 seconds to two minutes out. So mm-hmm. I don't, ex- I, I don't need somebody that's got a, you know, a street fighter or MMA background. It helps. It does help, um, you know, because it shows that this job is a physical and it's a dangerous job at, at times, you know, you're going to get assaulted, you're going to get punched and kicked and, uh, or people are going to at least try. And, uh, so having some background, I think, helps. Uh, 
you know, I'm not trying to punt on this question. I really think that's kind of the, some of the research that you're going to have to look at the agency. And if you're looking at working for an agency that has a very extended boundaries as far as their jurisdiction is huge. And so they're, you know, you know that they've got a resident deputy or they got somebody that, you know, yeah, you talk to one of the officers. So yeah, usually our nearest covers 10 to 30 minutes away. Uh, if that's the agency you want to work for, you probably want to be able to present somehow that you can take care of yourself physically and mentally um, mm -hmm. in those uh, potential violent encounters. Uh, you know, barring that, uh, you know, it helps. I I'll say for my agency, um, you know, I'd say most people coming in don't have any uh, sort of fighting background. Um, mm -hmm. Which, which can, you know, which can be, lead to its own challenges at times, you know, whether uh, people can take care of themselves on the street, because I will say one thing, if you are getting into this job, this is kind of going off the hiring process. Mm -hmm. It's my personal advice. If you are going into this job, try to get into not just a physical fitness routine, as you said, because you're going to have to pass some sort of physical fitness test. Like our agency doesn't do a physical test but the academy, because we know we're going to send you to the academy mm -hmm. and the state has a physical fitness requirement. And so you need to at a minimum meet that requirement to pass the academy. So, um, so some agencies do PT tests and some don't. Um, and there's some work on cost use and liability, why some agencies don't do PT tests, if you're wondering why they don't do it. Um, but then as far as the, the fighting background, I mean, I do think it is important for people to at least have an understanding that yes, uh, and that kind of goes back to the understanding of the job. So whatever style you want to get into, um, you know, whether it's wrestling, I, I think, you know, I, <laughs> I, I think there's some there's some styles out there. Not not knocking like taekwondo because I do some, but like Olympic point sparring is not real for what you're gonna find out in the street. But again, <laughs> it's again. <laughs> you just put I a mean, picture in my head. That's pretty hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, yeah. And so, but you know, in, even MMA, I tell people like MMA is not a true representation of what you're going to get on the street because even in MMA, there are holds, uh, there are areas that you can't hit or kick to, and there's a referee that stops the fight when somebody goes unconscious. That right. doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, I will say as a sidebar for me, I think a valuable lesson, not saying people have to do this, but if you are going to train in something and you get your bell rung or you get knocked out, I think that is an invaluable lesson that you should potentially even talk about in your thing like look i understand that this job comes with physical danger and i i've experienced this so I, I i take care of myself i'm aware of my understandings because that that experience does correlate into the street like hey when i'm out there and something happens it's not like it's not like a ufc fight it's, nobody's going to stop the fight if something happens to me or I, even if you're you know if, if you're just doing like point sparring you're not going to get the reality of that Hey, you know, you can, you can get your lights knocked out pretty quick. So be prepared for that. And then have you learned steps to avoid that, you know, um, and that's right. more important than how good of a fighter you are, how it's more of how, how, how good, you know, can you kind of protect yourself or, or talk yourself out of a situation? And then if it does escalate, do you have some skill sets, basic skill sets to get your, uh, to get the situation under control, to get the subject under control mm -hmm. or to recognize when to even back out. So, right. Yeah. Obviously the, the ability to avoid the confrontation to begin with is, is much more important. Um, but you know, 
if you're on the job, if you're on the street long enough, you're going to find yourself in those situations. And I always kind of point people to a couple of main points, and that's know how to take a punch. Like, just you're going to get hit at some point. Um, And know how to defend that, but also know how to... um, I, I, for me, grappling is, is extremely important because the second officers don't have the ability to just back off. And obviously you can, uh, to a certain extent, but at some point you have to go hands on, right? You have to get control of that person, take them into custody, whatever it is. So that's grappling. So I always point to, you know, know how to take a punch and know some sort of grappling Brazilian jujitsu jujitsu is, you know, the fad right now, but that's Mm -hmm. obviously not the only, um, there's judo, but you know, some, one of the, one of the, (laughs) one of the guys, he, he no longer works for agency. He went to another one, but, uh, you know, he's a real small guy, but he was a uh, phenomenal wrestler. And that guy, man, wrestling that, so like you're talking about grappling, whether it's jujitsu, even, even judo, you know, learning how to take somebody to the ground, that that that's what you're going to face. That's the reality in law enforcement. You know, yeah. I know everybody goes, oh, what well, they got tasers and these other tools. As you know, they don't work all the time. Right. So so you, you still got to have some physical skill sets to be able to to care for yourself. But um, but you also don't have to be a black belt or anything like that. Just I, I do encourage people to do something. I agree with you there because um, that just will, will help you be able to explain. Yeah. But I also don't want to be somebody that's so focused on fighting, <laughs> you know, that, that last I checked, not trying to demean anything, but we don't patrol the streets of Fallujah where we're trying to constantly do counter sniper maneuvers. So you've, you've also got to have that balance in, in American law enforcement, you know, where, where, yeah, it is dangerous, but not, uh, you know, you're, you're not in danger in every time. So you, you could be, so you got to be aware of that, but you've also got to be able to relate people, uh, and not treat yeah. them like they're the enemy every time. Absolutely. Um, no, I think that's cause there are guys who are extremely, um, they're great fighters. Uh, they're great grapplers, whatever it is. Uh, and to those of you, yeah, be careful when, when you hit the interview to not portray yourself as this um, supposed badass who can take on anybody because the reality is you're always going to face someone. There, there's always somebody bigger and yeah, you don't want to create that perception that you think you're going to, you're going to, you know, take down every bad guy that, that doesn't listen to your first command because no department wants that liability. Right. I mean, right. that, that guy's a headache for a guy, for guys like you, Dan, I mean, you, you don't want to hire that guy. Absolutely. It's like, dude, you could have talked your way out of that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you know, uh, uh, I know, I think you've interviewed, uh, Scott Savage, you know, and I work with him and we talk about that, you know, law enforcement, we can win truly. I mean, we could like, you give me enough cops and we can win. We can fight our way through any engagement. We could probably, you know, I mean, enough cops enough armor whatever we could probably win almost anything and that's not cocky i'm just saying it through time i mean look even we at waco texas as bad as that at the end of the day they sent a tank and you know i mean so not to get off topic but the the having having that recognition of like yeah just because we can win doesn't mean we always should and and we have the smarts we have the moral obligation we have the uh, ethics and the integrity uh to, to avoid. And I will say that the longer you get into your career, or if you're a young officer and you're getting into a lot of fights, you'll find pretty soon that you're an IA all the time. And that's no fun. Yeah. Uh, getting investigated all the time, or, or you f- find yourself on YouTube videos all the time about being that bad cop. Um, that changes really quick. So, 
<laughs> my recommendation is for everybody getting into it, uh, learn to be smart with your mind and your tongue. Those have to be your most powerful tools and then back them up. I mean, I have a martial arts background in myself. And so you know what it's like to, to fight, but that's not my go-to. Uh, yeah. And it never was, um, never was. It's bringing back memories. One of my FTOs, uh, they called him tough and, uh, he was probably, I'll give him probably six, six, one, six, two, um, in, in very good shape, well-built guy. And I mean, he was a fighter. He, he, uh, you did not want to get kicked by this guy. And that, that was, I think his go-to, but, uh, he, he was a, he was a tough dude. He was a fighter and, he was one who, like you said, the IA department hated him because he was always right. getting into scraps with people. And, and it's like, okay, you know, I, I was in, I was in a situation several, probably if, if I could remember them all, but I remember one in particular where we had these, you know, a group of people who are obviously, you know, gang members. Um, and they were causing problems. I can't remember what the initial call was, but, um, we, we had them disperse and this one guy comes walking back and tough goes, decides he's my FTO, mind you, I'm supposed to be like, you know, doing this stuff. He steps out in, you know, we had, uh, I think two crew. Well, no, we didn't have two crew. We had, we were towing a car. That's what it was. So we had two cars sitting there. We had good cover. This guy's coming from down the street and just in the wide open. Right. So we've got the position of advantage if, if, you know poop hits the prop so to speak yeah right and so i you know as a new trainee i'm thinking like all right i'm i'm staying put we're going to give this guy commands from here you know he's he's holding on to his waistband you know obviously i'm i'm worried about him being armed and <laughs> tough freaking he walks out there he's like he's like 15 meters from the last point of cover in the middle of the road i'm like fuck <laughs> you doing man like i i draw i draw my gun like because at this point i'm at range because he you know my fto stopped this guy's advance so now it's like it's a dicey shoot if if it goes to that but i'm i'm gonna try to like bail my fto out and you know he's standing in the street just it's like it was old western style just out there in the middle of nowhere let's see who can shoot quicker and more accurately and uh he ends up pepper spraying this guy and the guy runs off crying which was which was funny in the end but it was a perfect example um of a situation where we should have used uh verbal commands and and really tried to deal with it that way first but his his natural instinct was just i'm going after this guy like if he wants to roll game on let's do this um but yeah, it, if you're an applicant, you don't want to present that because right be, that mentality because it, it's a huge liability issue. And well, that FTO could have got it, himself killed, right? And and got you sued, and the city sued, and and then ruined his. You know, I mean, everything's uh, everything's great until you're federally depot meaning you you get sued federally for civil rights violations and then now you are no longer uh, usually you're on the plaintiff side but in that situation you're you're the defendant and you're and all this stuff all this case law you can carry in your back pocket because i've seen that too and i'm sure you've experienced that people that oh this case says this and that's like all right well if you're playing in the case law realm all the way instead of just 
hey, what morally and ethically, I mean, what just passes the smell test right now? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, just live in that world. You know, uh, what do you want to read the headline tomorrow? Just live in that world. World, You know, don't don't play. Oh, well, legally we could do this. Yeah, legally you can sometimes, but it's, uh, you know, it's that phrase lawful but awful. It just, yeah, okay, legally you had the grounds, but it just, it, it just was bad all the way around and it, and it put other people. So I think for people getting into it, you know, uh, you know, California, uh, the Ninth Circuit passes a lot of uh, pretty stringent uh, cases, you know, uh, cases that uh, are, are changing law enforcement. And, and somebody on the East Coast could laugh and go, oh, there's California. But the reality is, uh, you know, how California goes, the rest of the nation tends to follow uh, within the next three to five years. So if there's some case that comes down. So while we're on this subject of fighting and stuff like that, I mean, you know, things that an a new applicant can think about, and this could help with those critical incident scenarios that you may get like, Hey, you're, what's a stressful situation or how have you handled realize that like in California now it's even state law that your actions leading up to the use of force incident or your fight or whatever now come into question. It used to be totality of the circumstances and then at the time that you delivered whatever said force or you got in the fight that's when they judge at that time was the force uh was it legal you know mm -hmm. so it's like your fto your fto could have waited out in the middle of the street done the old western standoff and then they both draw down and your fto wins and he wins the gunfight you know probably lawful right mm -hmm. guy drew a gun on him but now, you know, it's, it's changing. It's getting more challenging where the, the courts, especially in California, it's, 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 our, it's our reality, uh, which I think is appropriate in some aspects as far as is, is what we've done leading up to that use of force is being judged. And when I say appropriate to some aspects, sometimes I think, you know, people want a per perfect picture every time and, and use of force or those violent situations aren't perfect. But there are also times go back to like, you know, the guy that's suicidal by himself in a house and we're kicking in the door with our guns drawn, tell him we're going to save him. You know, we shot a lot of people over the years trying to save somebody from killing themselves. Uh, yeah. And so so now the courts are kind of turning like, well, wait a minute. At the time you shot him, he came at you. You, you should have. But uh, it's it's we're being more prejudged, not prejudged. We're being evaluated on all of our steps we took to whatever uh, tactical decision we got to. So I know that's a little off topic, but I think for hiring, when you're talking about fighting, you're talking about all these other things. You've got to understand that the process, that the decisions you make that lead up to anything reflect not only upon you, not only in your partners, they, they, they reflect upon your department, your city, your county, and law enforcement as a whole across the board. Mm -hmm. And that's not always fair. But that's the reality. And so my personal opinion, uh, and you know, uh, reading some of your bio, you know, that that law enforcement for several years has kind of been under attack. We're being judged, I think, sometimes unfairly in kind of these unwinnable situations and, and or going to these very difficult and complex situations that result in a use of force. And we're expected to bat a thousand every time, despite all the adversity of the situation that's coming at us. And so I want to know an applicant understands that's the reality of the job, that that whether it's fair or not, there's we're getting this expectation that in these critical incidents, we've we've uh, for lack of a better word, we got to have our mud together. We've got to we we've got to at least be striving to about a thousand. And I'm not saying we can every time because situations are fluid and dynamic. 
Um, but people people need to be prepared for that. And and I think with kind of the hit on law enforcement uh, and, and people making snap judgments on use of force situations, I think that's part of the trend of why we're seeing uh, a decrease in applications. It's not, uh, I'm very proud of my career, but I will say in the last five years, I've talked less openly about it because mm-hmm. as soon as you open your mouth that, hey, I'm, I'm in law enforcement, <laughs> sometimes, you know, people make those snap judgments. And so um, still great job. I mean, many, many more days than not. I, I can't believe I get paid to do some of the stuff I've done over my career and all that. But yeah. that's the reality of what comes it to. And I think applicants need to be able to at least express that. And that's why it kind of goes to my first point of knowing the job, that some of that comes with it. And how are you, are you prepared to deal with that? Yeah. Um Going back to something you said, you're talking about guys who focus a lot on um, court precedents and and knowing what you know the courts have said in the past is is legally justified. Um, and I've seen guys, I've seen that the guys who are most studied up on that tend to be kind of the hard chargers, and and that's kind of a chicken and the egg kind of thing, but they they do have a quickness about them when it comes to making decisions in the field. And I think that's a a really good, um, the benefit of being very in touch with kind of the, the wins, so to speak in the courts, as far as what law enforcement can and can't do. If you know what you're, what has been allowed in the past, you, you know, when you can press, um, there are situations where it's like, okay, I know this is a bad situation. I know this is going on, uh, but I, you know, a less uh, in tune officer might not know how to exploit that and and get to where they need to to build a case and make an arrest. Um, but you make a great point that you can't just go. Well, well, the Ninth Circuit said that this was okay in this particular circumstance, and even though it's unnecessary now. Well, they said it was okay, so I'm going to do it. Um, that's you have to have a balance there of of knowing, you know, what precedent is, but also knowing what is morally um, acceptable, you know, amongst your peers, but more importantly, w- with society. And that that's that's the hard part, I think, because society is always changing. Correct. And, and you know, it's hard. And this is, I don't, you know, I. I know I'm a chief level officer, so people are probably going to like, oh, yeah, of course he would say that. But the reality is, is you also have to you have to have a mindset that's that's acceptable within your community as well, because at the end of the day, right, we protect and serve or we're public servants and we serve our our public. And a lot of times that becomes a slogan on our door. Mm -hmm. But yet sometimes we forget about that. And when we forget about it, I think that's where the rub happens. And I, I'm totally guilty. Raise my hand. There's been times like, well, this is this is what's right for the community. I should be doing this. Um, and I'm not saying we don't quit our, our job because there's a lot of aspects that the community don't understand what our job is and, and the complexities of our job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but really, I think the maturity and again, this, the, the theme that I keep talking about is is character, maturity, integrity ethics, work ethic, um, that all comes into play because um, just like you talked about the, the, your, your experience, uh, you talked about the high performing officer that's going to be able to speak well in court because they're speaking from confidence that they know like, hey, 
not only was I legally in the right, but but like morally, my department maybe didn't have a problem with what I was doing because I don't take short steps. I don't, you know, I, I follow the rule. I still, you know, I, over my career, I put a lot of crooks in jail, but I'd like to think that I didn't cut corners and I didn't, I, you know, I didn't play in those, uh, not that there's gray areas, but I didn't play in those shady areas of case law. It's like, hey, I had a good case or I didn't. And if I didn't have a good case, then I'm going to, I'm going to either make it stronger or I'm going to let that walk this time and I'll make it better the next time. And, and, uh, and I think going back to the hiring question, I mean, I think that's what we're looking for. Just kind of like, does that person, like, you don't have to know all the laws. You don't have to be a law enforcement officer. In fact, most of the times we're hiring you uh, because you're not, and we're going to try to train you to the best, but that character and that depthness and that experience, and I guess the fortitude of, uh, you know, if you can develop those, uh, and if your life histories develop those, then then those are the candidates we're looking. You know, teaching what penal code section is this or what that law does or even that case law, that'll come with time. Um, it's just how community, you know, how committed are you? Uh, have you been to one developing yourself and the leader that you're going to be, and then two, uh, you know, how committed uh, in the hiring process? How committed are you to the community that you're going to serve? Because if you're coming in, it's all about you. You want to drive fast, shoot guns, and chase bad guys. You know that's great. I mean, honestly, that's what attracts a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's not. You know, again, that's that's you know that's like one part of the job. Uh, you know. Um, in fact, I, as an administrator, I prefer you don't. I, I, I say as an administrator, I prefer you don't drive too fast too either. Because it's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's a big part of what attracted me. Do you do you remember? I'm sure you do. What what kind of drew you into the field when you were younger? Well, um, you know, I think because again, my brother is six years older than me. He was he was in law enforcement, so I went to ride along. One is the fact that it was. Uh, you know, every day is a different adventure. Every day is something new. Even in some of the mundane stuff, you just never know when some unusual case or something's going to fall in your lap. Or uh, and so uh, you get to experience those things. Um, and uh, you know, it. it I also, you know, I'm not trying to sound corny, but you know, I'd, I'd always kind of growing up taught the, to to serve others and do other things, and I kind of wanted that to be. Uh, kind of the purpose of my life and I think so I think I thought that teaching would be that and then looking at you know did I really want to be in a classroom no I wanted to be out out in the street uh dealing with a wide spectrum of people um you know at the time yeah it was it was fun uh going after feeling like uh this isn't a bad feeling we just got to be careful with it. but you know they, yeah hey I I want to I want to I want to hold people accountable, so to speak. You know, if this drug dealer's dealing on the corner and he's oppressing the rest of the people in the neighborhood, I where we have to be careful is we're not judge, jury, and sentencer out there on the street. We're just supposed to enforce it. But but it was a good feeling to go out there and like, all right, this guy's pretty tricky and how he's dealing drugs. How can I outfox him so I can catch him mm-hmm. legitimately and legally and have a good strong case? And then when you get that on the person, uh, you know that that was always a good feeling. And then when you have the neighbors come out and say, Oh man, thank you. This guy was destroying our, our neighborhood. You know, that's an awesome experience and it's hard. Some jurisdictions are too busy. Well, unfortunately our jurisdiction's gotten busy that I don't know if the younger men and women are totally experiencing that just because of the call volume, but that's mm-hmm. my job to fix. But I think when you ask that, what attracted me is kind of that outdoor work environment where every day was a 
was kind of a new new adventure. Yeah, that's no, a, a hugely rewarding experience, and um, yeah, officers have to remember it's easy for the new guys to to remember that most people do appreciate the police, even in even in the rough neighborhoods. But um, as you go along in your career, you forget that because all you deal with is is the dirtbags um, who who hate you. And you're in these certain specific areas where they they tend to congregate, and then you just, you assume that everyone thinks that about you, and it's it's just not true. Um, what? Yeah, can I say? Can I tell you a little yeah, story? Ahead. Not not it'll be real short, but yeah, um, no, you're fine. So one of the things, because this is this is an important talk at top uh, as far as that. I think the rub in law enforcement, right? Because community relationships, uh, and, and when things go bad, we have a bad police shooting, and we're not working with the community. We all we all know how that how that goes. Um, but it's interesting, you know, you talk about, uh, or I talked earlier about, you know, us, you know, policing and feeling that I know what's right for a neighborhood. I'll just tell you a quick story. When I was, we had a, we had a pretty violent, uh, gang shooting uh, several years ago, but for like four blocks on one of our most major streets, it's actually a highway route that goes through our city. We had a rolling gun battle between two gangsters, uh, where they're exchanging rounds back and forth, driving down this this major artery uh, in our town, and one guy winds up getting shot, uh, killed while he's still driving, and crashes into the Burger King drive-through. And so, I remember as a, you know, at the time I was like, "Wow, this is really going to impact this neighborhood," and so we're really going to have to ramp up of our gang enforcement. And I'm not saying that we didn't; we have to. We just had a, a gang homicide, but. You know, the first community meeting, I was a, as a newly appointed lieutenant, the first community meeting my, my partner uh, had went to and I kind of was talking to him, helping him prepare was, was it in this neighborhood group, this apartment complex, right where the shooting happened. And we're all thinking they're going to be up in arms about the gang violence. The issue they brought forward that was most concerning to them was the fact that homeless individuals were walking into the apartment complex and washing their feet in a fountain and basically just being kind of degrading their living environment. Mm-hmm. And the reason I tell you the story is I really had an epiphany there thinking I knew it was best for that neighborhood. And that was to go after every gangster. I'm not saying we didn't, we did, we arrested these guys and all that. But, but if uh, my point of this whole story is, is if we get so focused on, Hey, I know what's best for this neighborhood mm-hmm. and we don't have the skill sets to reach out to the neighborhood and have that conversation and the dialogue, we could completely miss it. Cause I could tell you for that neighborhood. Yeah. We still needed to arrest these gangsters that had done this thing. And we still needed to continue to work on the presence. But if we totally ignored that other problem, we'd have zero community support. Cause they'd say, Hey, the cops don't do anything. You know, right. they're, they're not, they're not dealing with what's impacting me on a daily day-to-day life that's a break and so right don't mean to speak off topic but I, I really think man if like if you're hiring and you or you're going to test for this job and you start to get some about what we're talking about like hey i have my job to do but there's a community that i serve and i have to have a connection with that community uh to provide them the service and, and some service you're right i mean even if they said hey we don't really care about the gang violence we want you to just go out. well we still have to we in law enforcement have to care about the gang violence mm-hmm. but if that's all we put our focus into, or we're going to have every drug team possible and we're going to arrest every drug dealer in the thing, but we don't address any of the other issues that are impacting our, our community, then we've completely lost touch. And that's when we have problems. Uh, it's just going to bite us. So when, when you're coming into this job, you have to have that reality. It's not, and I think guys that have made mistakes or have had great disappointment in their career is like, yes, but I did this. I did this over and over again and it was right. And it was never good enough. And some of it is like, yeah, because uh, in law enforcement, it's not about you alone. 
it's not just, you know, you're not the Lone Ranger. There's a whole team that comes with you. There's a whole city that you or county that you work for that all comes into play. And to be part of that, it's very something that can be very special, but it can also be very isolating if you allow yourself to become isolated from it because you kind of get into this mentality that you think you know what's best for said community or said department or even said unit on your team. Right. And I think that's that's an example of someone who's operating at the next level. You can be a good officer um, on paper. You know, you're making lots of arrests. You're you're doing all the things cops do. But what what makes you a great officer, if you're especially in, you know, you're in a an urban area um, serving a specific community and that, we, won't, we won't go into the, the trooper tangent, but that that is a huge difference you know, with troopers because they don't have as much of a connection with a specific, you know, community group. But if you're, if you're connecting with the people who you're supposed to be serving and protecting, um, not just coming in, you know, handling the call, solving the problem and, and you're out, that's, that's next level. I mean, that's, that separates the rookies from, from the pros and the guys who are, are really making a difference. Um, and what these, what these younger officers and, and aspiring officers need to think about is that the culture of your agency may not be the right culture. Um, they're all in different phases. Some are doing great. Some are, are not doing very well. So when you come in, if things don't feel right, um, if the approach toward the community doesn't feel right, maybe it's not right. And you need to have some confidence in, in what you what you see as, hey, this is the best um, best approach to connecting with my community. Yeah, I know my supervisor's bugging me to get back out there and, you know, make more stops or, or whatever it is, but I'm going to take another 10 or 15 minutes to talk to this elderly lady next to the house that I just dealt with whoever, right. And, and explain the situation to her, connect with her, you know, and those are the people that are going to help you later on when something else goes down and they remember you. They go, I trust this guy because he, he, I know he actually cares. Right. You know, you kind of, you kind of bring up something that talks about fit. And so like the HR world's never going to say, well, nobody's like a fit. You can't ever like for me as, as the, uh, as the hirer, I can't say, oh, they're not a fit for my agency because, if you're within the guidelines of hiring, then that's it. But when we talk about fit, you kind of hit the nail on the head as far as, you know, what you're looking at in this career has to fit with whatever department you're getting hired by. It, mm -hmm. If I can expound on that a little bit is, you know, there are some agencies that just want cops going out there and arresting bad guys because that's the focus that they get. Like, hey, it's, they just, they just, just go out there and hunt crooks and, and take numbers, write tickets and make arrests. And there's some agencies that that's less important. I'm not saying that they don't do that, but it's much more, we want you, like you said, we want you to take the extra time to talk to the old lady that's the next door neighbor. We want you to do all that stuff. And that's more important to us than all this other stuff. And so if you're one of those that, you know what, I don't really want to do that aspect. I just want to be the hard charger and I want to do that. And, and again, it's, I think there's a balance in every every agency. I mean, we still need cops doing police work, but I definitely know, and I'm not going to name any, but there's some jurisdictions around here where it's a little bit more just, yeah, just go out and, you know, go do cop stuff and and, and we'll let these people do about the community relations stuff uh, versus 
others that are a little bit more balanced. Like, yeah, we want you to go make arrests and do all that, but you also got to communicate with the community and you got to do that. So the way that you're going to learn, are you a fit for that agency or is what your ideology of like what, because most people like, I just want to be a cop. I just want to be a cop so bad. I'm going to apply. I'm going to apply for everybody. And the first person that hires me, I'm going to go into it. And then the rub can happen is three to five years later, you start getting dissuaded and you're like, well, this isn't, they're asking me to do things that I didn't want to do. I didn't realize that I was going to have to go, uh, you know, like right now dealing with COVID-19, you know, we're out handing out food in neighborhoods. Not that any, I think anybody would want to do that, but it's, it's kind of, in some aspects, uh, you know, more of a public relations campaign, we're helping people, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, it, and so if that's not what attracts you and you kind of want to be more of like, man, I, I just, you know, I want to go chase, chase after guys that are dealing drugs. That's really what I'm all about. Well, if that agency doesn't do much of that, then, then you've got to think about that. And that's hard. That's hard when you first get in, um, <laughs> when you want to just break the door. But if you're a good candidate and you have the confidence that you're a good candidate and you've applied for a few locations, um, I'm not saying you don't take the first opportunity because, you know, it's better to have that job than not. Um, but part of it is I, I've actually had candidates that have sat across from me in a chief's level interview. This is the final interview before I'm going to offer you the job. And they said, Hey, look, this is how I know that your agency is a fit for me. How that I know I'll fit in because I know you guys value this. And when I went on these two ride alongs, I saw your officers doing this and that's what I want to do. And then I'll ask them, well, have you been on with another agency and seen how they do things that are different? And, and in some cases, no. And then other cases are all, yeah, you know, this, this agency, um, you know, just kind of, you know, it was, it was just a different style and they didn't feel it to their style. And I know people will say a lot in the interview, but when it comes across genuine, uh, man, that, that, that makes me, okay, how fast can I get this job offer to you and have you sign? Because you've just convinced me that you have an understanding of what we're about and you want to be part of the team. Yeah, that that's a great position for for both parties. I think to be in having that that good fit. Um, but you touch on something that I know is difficult because I was there, um, and that is you know you apply to several agencies and you might get uh, an offer or a, a conditional offer, and it, say it's not your first choice. That that's a tough place to be in. Fortunately. The first uh, interview I did was the one I bombed, so they weren't coming knocking on my door. And the second one was the one I wanted f from the from the start. So I never found myself in that position, but I was worried about it because I was like, "What am I gonna, you know, what am I gonna do? Turn somebody down um, when I'm just I just graduated college. I have nothing else. Um, it could be a huge mistake if I turn somebody down. Um, right. But but I think, like you said, that comes down to having having confidence in who you are and what you bring to the table and knowing like, okay, yeah, if, if I get an offer from this department, which might be number five on my list and I know I'm not going to stay there, um, I feel confident enough to wait and, and, and wait for one of, one of my top, you know, two or three choices to come on, to come around. Um, or, or, yeah, go ahead. or just, just realize that, Again, you know, uh, you know, it's hard if they if somebody slides a piece of paper across and says, hey, sign on the line, we want to hire you and, you know, um, give you a conditional job offer. Uh, you know, it's hard to pass that up. Mm -hmm. Just recognize like this isn't some 
I, you know, this, this job isn't something you jump into lightly as far as there, there's complexities and there's challenges. And yeah, you know, your first, I'd say three years, you know, it's pretty, you know, your first year you're training, you're figuring it out. And then three years, you really, then I'd say really somewhere around the three to five mark is where you're really starting to sniff out. Well, ah, is, this, you know, is this really, you know, what, what do I have to look forward to in the long run here and all that. And, and so just recognize that uh, if you haven't done your research, of, a, of an agency and kind of what they're about prior to getting hired by them, then you may run the risk like three years, five years down the road, you're really kind of dissuaded by maybe the job in general or, or the department. And hopefully it's not the job in general. Um, that can happen uh, uh, if you're really unprepared, like you really expected something different and either you were treated different by the administration or there's all these different complexities that come into it. But, you know, uh, you're either going to be dissuaded by the job or you're going to be dissuaded by the department. And hopefully if you've tipped up a good rep reputation, you know, you can always go apply somewhere else. And most agencies will hire laterals um, if you've got a good background with the jurisdiction you're with. Um, but the more it kind of comes back to, I started off with doing your homework. So, you know, uh, with COVID-19, you probably can't do any ride-alongs right now with many agencies. But, uh, you know, once that kicks up, uh, our my agency actually, I can't make it a requirement because uh, <laughs> there's other that's not part of the process, but we strongly encourage that while they're in the background process after the oral interview, that they go on two ride-alongs. So that way, when they come to a chief level or an executive level interview, that's usually the final interview prior to the job. They can kind of really explain that, like, hey, I, I see what your department ha has to offer, and this is how I'm going to complement your team. Mm -hmm. um, uh, th that speaks, that speaks volume. So whatever you can do, I mean, if you can't go on ride-alongs, you know, uh, uh, I mean, I kind of agree with you. If you have real confidence that you're going to get hired, maybe you pass that first option, the first offer. That's hard to do. I'm not going to lie. I mean, that's this is a very hard job. It's usually a long process to get into. Um, but just hopefully prior to getting that job offer, you've done your research into the agency and you've, you know, you may have applied to five and it's okay to, to back out. I, I've actually hired candidates that they applied to multiple agencies and then backed out on a few. And I'm like, Okay, it's just alarming. Is this person just flighty? And they told me, no, I went on a ride along and, and this is what I saw. And I, I didn't think that's something that I could do for the next 20 years. Mm -hmm. Hey, fair enough. Totally right. get it. Totally understand it. So, yeah. And in that kind of scenario that I presented, you know, I'm thinking back to when I got hired on and some of the agencies. So the way our area did it is you, you would go take a test, you know, the written and physical tests, all that stuff. Um, and then you would basically click on a checkbox for whatever agency in your area that you wanted that those results to go to and being straight out of college i'm like all right well i don't i didn't pick them all but i picked you know the top probably six or seven knowing that really only two maybe three of them were ones that i really wanted to work for um and if the scenario had presented itself that one of these other agencies, you know, uh, account, a smaller County, low budget. Um, they've got issues. I'm going to spend the first year and a half in the jail before I even get on the road. If I got an offer from that agency and I was pretty confident that I had something better coming, yeah, I'm going to pass that up, but that's right. me. And, and not everyone is in the same situation. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at, okay, what do I bring to the table? What's my GPA? Who do I have as references who are going to, you know, 
what positions are they in in life and how are they going to present me? And, you know, I, I had a pretty stacked deck, so I felt pretty confident in that, but not everyone's in that situation. Um, and some people do need to start at that agency that yeah, you might not really want to work at for the rest of your life, but it will give you the opportunity to prove you can do this job. And then, you know, a few years down the road, reach out to some other agencies that you, you know, would prefer to work for and, and get your foot in the door that way. So, right. Um, right. so let's go back a little bit to, you know, I, we are, I know we already touched on this and I'm, as we're talking, I'm kind of playing in my head, like, are we, should we go through this part of our, of my notes or not? Um, but even though we already touched on it, I can I do want to go through this because I, it's selfish because I get questions on this all the time and I want to give the audience kind of a, a metric or some benchmarks uh, by which they can measure their own past mistakes and go, okay, well, what I did wasn't as bad as that. And if that is circumstantially can be acceptable as an applicant, then, hmm. you know, then maybe I have a chance because I get that all the time. You know, am I, am I automatically disqualified? Um, this is what I did. What do you think? Right. So I want to give you a few examples. Um, I'll try to get through these as quick as, as we can. Um, but, but that way the audience, you know, has, um, you know, those who have made some mistakes, which we all have, have a little bit of, you know, a, a ruler stick to measure themselves by, if that makes sense. And I, I'm not asking you obviously to make any, um, hard and fast rules. It doesn't work that way. Everyone has to understand that there's, there's no, it's not pass fail necessarily, but, uh, it's just examples. Um, so th the first one is on past drug use, um, uh, prescription drug in this case. And this, this listener wrote a few years ago, I purchased some Adderall from a friend who had a prescription, uh, because I was curious and wanted to see what it was like. Uh, would this automatically disqualify me from getting hired on with an agency? End quote. What do you think? I, I would say, depending on, again, uh, time frame, because mm -hmm. you, we pointed out earlier, like time does heal some of these past mistakes. But, uh, you know, I, I've, I've, hired, I've hired candidates with this exact thing in their, in their background. So that they, they experimented with somebody, something they, you know, took somebody else's prescription, something like that. And that, that was not a, a disqualifier. Okay. All right. So this next one's a little bit more interesting. Um, this listener wrote, quote, eight years ago when I was still drinking, I went on a bachelor trip to, we'll just say a destination um, trip. Uh, we went to a strip club that turned out to be more than a strip club. And for the right price, you could just, uh, get about whatever you wanted. Needless to say, we all took part in the festivities and shortly thereafter um, was when I made the decision to change my life and uh, went to rehab and now I'm five years sober. Uh, he continues, I worked through my bad decisions when I went through the 12 steps of AA. Uh, I volunteer with my, within my community. I teach yoga and meditation to people at drug and alcohol treatment centers to help them while they're going through tough times. Uh, I even teach a meditation class yada, yada, yada. I have a family today, two beautiful stepchildren, just had my first child. Um, I'm not the same person I was five, eight, 10 years ago, but obviously I've made some bad decisions. And he kind of ends with that, you know, 
the fact remains, I paid for a sexual service. You know, that's a question that uh, a lot of agencies ask. Have you ever paid for, you know, prostitution? Um, you know, and so the answer, should I save my time and money from taking the, all of these tests and applications um, for a job in law enforcement? Would I even get a chance to explain myself and show that I'm a different person uh, today sober? What are your thoughts on that one? So um, I can tell you, I, uh, I mean, this is a, this is a unique situation, but I, I, we, we, you know, there's some people that, that have had similar situations that, that I know have been hired into law enforcement. So I can't say straight off uh, if, if that's, we'll say the biggest crime, <laughs> the chink in the armor was uh, they were drinking and partying and, and, and paid for sex. That, that is disconcerting and not something that we want, but that's not a straight up disqualifier. But again, that, that comes to totality of the circumstances. The one thing I can say as far as do I waste my money, um, most jurisdictions have uh, some sort of recruitment thing on their website and even sometimes an email, like our department has an email that you can email and ask recruitment questions. Uh, now, maybe you don't want to throw this out there, but, you, you know, this would be if you're looking to get hired by a jurisdiction. Remember, we earlier I talked about the, the hiring uh, sergeant or lieutenant or somebody. This may be and I don't think it's inappropriate uh, to call because I've had people call me like, hey, do I even waste my time with this? And, and a lot of the times I can't we can't at that hiring process give you a hard because like, well, I don't know. I have to look at your total background. I'm having you know, we're going to talk to a bunch of people and if they say no, you know like they present you as somebody that never would have done that uh, because they don't know that. I mean, like you've changed and you're this person now, like your job history, your spouse, everybody's like, uh, then, then this is probably like we said, a hiccup in your background that you've learned from and we can move forward. So it's hard to say this is a straight up disqualifier because again, people with very similar histories are currently working law enforcement jobs uh, that have made significant, these changes. Um, so I would call, I mean, or, you know, and get a whole, like for us, we have a hiring sergeant and say, hey, man, I'm thinking of applying. This is the one thing I have in my background. What do you think? Uh, the good, I think the, the better agencies will, will, will have an honest conversation. Where, where we can't have the conversation, just so everybody knows, is once you've applied and we're going to disqualify you for something, we will not tell you what you're disqualified for because there's all kinds of legal reasons for that and i know that that stinks but then somebody can come back and sue the jurisdiction for saying well you didn't hire me because you because of x and then we get a law lawsuit with somebody that we didn't want to hire so you know all the attorneys just say hey you have a right not to hire somebody just tell them they weren't hired that they i mean you should have a standard so if it's ever question of why you didn't hire somebody but this, I will tell you right now, this, this, this situation that's presented to us, you know, uh, I, I, kind of summing up some of the de disqualifiers, straight up, domestic violence, you're not going to get hired anywhere. In fact, in California, you can't be a cop, can't carry a gun, can't do any of that. So that's straight up. You, you've had any conviction or even a disclosure of uh, sexual violence, domestic violence, uh, uh, crimes against children, uh, really any violent crime uh yeah you know i'm sorry but that's probably a mistake you're not gonna get you know the, the minor fist fight uh in high school or college or you know at the drunken party maybe not but if you know you've really injured somebody hospitalized somebody or something like that 
uh, that's that's probably you, you you need to look for another job. You're probably not going to get hired. But 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 this situation that you've presented, depending on the circumstances, I don't think it would be a waste of his time to apply. Uh, how he could really get further knowledge of that is again reach out to the agency and see if he gets any feedback and if they say no you know what on face value that doesn't uh that's not a disqualifier go ahead and apply and then we'll give you an opportunity to explain yourselves i will tell you not every agency does that i think more and more are getting that way because we have less and less qualified candidates so we're trying to help people actually through the process where before and i think when terrence probably you got hired it was like you know, you presented and if you didn't make it, you, you just got kicked to the curb and next, next, well, we're, we're the, the benefit to the person getting hired is we don't have that next, next, next in line anymore. So mm-hmm. we're trying to do things in the process to help uh, candidates such as this. Right. Um, what about psychological issues? Obviously, everyone's familiar with like ADD, ADHD and those kinds of things. Um, we had a listener write in with generalized anxiety disorder. I don't know if that's something that you've heard of before. Um, yeah, have, you know, because I, I also see, um, I have another question that maybe we can answer both of these with like the, the psych evaluation. You yeah. know, you're going to go to a psych. You know, I've, I've had friends that applied for law enforcement jobs and didn't get selected because they failed the psych. And I have no idea why. Um, that That's a tough one uh, as far as, you know, really that's convincing a doctor through some standardized test and then speaking to a psychologist uh, that you're, you know, stable enough for lack of better word, or you have, uh, I guess the mental fortitude or whatever we want to call it, uh, to, to have the job. So, you know, for, for individual disorders, you're, you're going to have to, I know, um, you're going to have to go through some sort of psychological evaluation. You're going to have to go through some medical evaluation, depending on whatever condition you have. It really depends if that doctor signs you off, uh, whether it's for a medical issue or a psychological issue. And if they don't sign you off, there's nothing we can do. So that's a uh, that's a hard answer to give because we're not making that decision. We get the report back that says basically you're qualified for this psychologically, medically, or you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we really can't dispute those. Now, ones that we've been able to like for medical um you know, medical is, is if it's a temporary thing, you know, sometimes we stayed like, okay, well, will this minor treatment or this even minor surgery, will the person be totally cleared of that and qualified? Well, yeah. Okay. Well then let's put them on the back burner and you go get yourself taken care of and then we'll, we'll hire you, you know, type of thing. Hmm. Um, once, once you're passed the psychological, I mean, it's really hard to, to answer. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't know about ADHD as far as that being a disqualifier. Uh, it just, it just depends again. Uh, and I'm not a psychologist, but I, I think it would depend more on functionality. And like, I mean, mm. is there, is there an inhibitant to, for you based upon the standards that the psychologist is evaluating for? Do they see that whatever your condition is, is it, um, you know, prohibitive of you doing the job? And, yeah. Yeah, and I know that's tough because sometimes I've had people that I was super excited about gave them a conditional job offer and I failed the psych. And I usually mm-hmm. would call the doctor and they won't tell me the exact reasons because that's your medical information. Um, so but, can can you, know, you as an applicant contact that doctor because it is your medical information um, and and f- get the results and see what 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 their uh, final 
you know, opinion was on it? Do you know? I, I don't, I don't know. And okay. I don't, you know, it kind of comes back to, I don't know if they're under the same attorney's guidance. And I know this right. seems like a weak answer, but of like, Hey, yeah, just tell them they're not qualified and leave it at that. So that way you can't be challenged. Later. Right. Cause unfortunately we have been, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll just be, you know, like, some of the we went earlier we talked about the physical agility test again some agencies don't do that because if i'm if you're going through our physical agility test and then you say you blow out your back then you become a workman's comp case for us so mm-hmm. uh even though you're not our employee so some agencies like again there's reason before they just say yeah no you're not hired and they don't give that information because one, they have a legal right to do that. And, and two, then there's no liability of giving that explanation, which is horrible for the candidate. I get it. Yeah. Uh, but some of that's just the, the guidance that we have either from the city attorneys or the HR department. So I imagine the psychologists have this similar approach to it. Yeah. That's kind of the impression I've had as well. And, but I think this comes back to uh, kind of relates to what we talked about earlier with knowing what's maybe legal precedent in in how to do your job as an officer versus what's moral um and as you said this is that's a terrible thing for applicants uh the next story that i was going to read and i'm going to skip it just because it's so long but um was was on this subject you know he he went through this long process um he got his conditional offer everything's going great he's got nothing to hide and he goes to psych and and fails and has no idea why the department won't tell him and he's like you know what do i do i I spent all this time all this effort everything was great the department wanted me and and then the psych failed me um it seems you know just from us um from a an equity standpoint as far as employer employee relationship I, i have to imagine that there's got to be some legal rights for the applicant to know the results of a test that disqualify them from employment. I would assume, I, I, I mean, it, it, morally, um, it just seems like that would be the right thing. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I guess, you know, they would, they would argue that they are being told, they're being basically told that they didn't they didn't pass <laughs> there, there's a standard here's the standard we test yeah. you on and that may just be some you know you whatever it is and then and then and you didn't make that standard and then they may not tell you in which way you didn't make that standard which which i get man that is that is i, I hear this often um you know uh, on people that have failed the background and and our you know our, our approach is that yeah you don't uh you know you don't go into the details of the background because that can open up um you know, challenges and stuff like that. If you've got a legitimate, like, here's our standard, they didn't meet that standard and, and we're disqualifying them. Um, I, I think some of that we're trying to, we are trying to figure out, is there, uh, I will say, I can't say, in my, in my history, there was a candidate, uh, you know, that failed the initial psych and I called and, and wanted to know the doctor's reasoning and they did provide me some reasoning. And then I, and then I asked, well, is that, you know, a lot of agencies have like you have a police officer position, but then maybe you have a non-sworn position like a community service officer or something that's not, you know, full sworn law enforcement. There's like a, you know, I don't want to say a lower grade because our community service officers are, are awesome. But, you know, you have a 
it doesn't meet the same, like we'll call it threshold. It doesn't have to be up that high of a level as far as the, the standards um, that are set by the state or the jurisdiction. So, you know, what we've done is, is, is have called in cases and go, okay, well, they failed this. Is there, can they get, uh, you know, can they um, come in as like a, would they have, the, if they had tested for a CSO, would they have been viable? And then sometimes they've been, yeah, I would have passed them for a CSO, but not a police officer. And, and we have, in our cases, Archive okay, Wall, well, I have a position available. I'm going to be get them into that position, allow them to build some some equity and experience that they can now go back to the doctor and explain. Um, if I can say one thing about the psych, here's the advice I can give on the psychological test. One, make sure you get a good night's sleep uh, the day before, because uh, most of them are pretty standardized. It's a very long and grueling written process where they ask you probably about 150 to 300 questions, but they ask it about 4,000 times to kind of get this standard. So, so it's a room. I mean, I don't know if this was your back. I know in California, that's system. So you go through this whole written questionnaire uh, of all these different little, they seem, you know, like, hey, I'd like, to, you know, I, I don't want to hurt animals. Oh, but I'd love to see a bullfight. Uh, so they're all, they've all these questions that are nuanced. And I think sometimes people make a mistake as they get halfway through it, through that written process. And they just, man, this is, kind of dumb these questions are dumb yeah they are and they kind of start blazing through it and that kind of creates a uh uh you know some concern and then and then by the time they get to the doctor maybe they rush their interview uh, so i tell everybody get a good night's sleep don't overthink the questions but try to answer each question genuinely because that's going to do you better off even though it's you know it may take you three hours of answering these monotonous questions but uh that's part of the process and then when you go to the doctor before you leave, and this is where I know some candidates that I've talked to have had success. Hey, before you leave, ask the doctor, is there anything that you see that is alarming to you? Because I would like to talk to you about this because there's probably a reason I, I think I'm qualified for the job, but I want to have a discussion, you know, and, you know, and they may say no, but I've heard in other cases, they go, well, you know, we're a little concerned about this, you know, that, you know, your alcohol use, or we're a little concerned about this. And then that gives you an opportunity to, to have that conversation. And maybe you can convince the doctor. I think not knowing that going in uh, is where people can have uh, trip ups. They, they rest that written portion or they don't have a really good follow up conversation with the doctor. So um, hopefully that helps somebody kind of prepare for that portion and, and, you know, um, helps them get a little bit more successful. Absolutely. Yeah. It is a, a grueling, uh, somewhat painful process. <laughs> like you said, it's, it's long and r repetitive. It's like, I've answered this a hundred times. Like why, why, why you keep at, why do you keep asking me this? Right. Um, and the polygraph is much of the same. Um, it's to me, it was a little bit, you felt like, I felt like I was more under the spotlight, um, a little bit more pressure and, but it, it's the same thing. It's like tons of questions. You feel like you've answered them a hundred times. Um, and, but they're just trying to kind of get your baseline and, and then go from there. Um, we had a listener that wrote in, and this will be kind of our last example. And then there's a rabbit hole that we passed up earlier. That I want to go down if we have time, but, um, yeah, I'm gonna have to wrap. I'm sorry, man. I'm gonna have to wrap. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's fine. We'll, we'll hit this last one. How much time do you have left? All right. Uh, let's do, uh, not to put it on, it's your show, but, uh, 10, 10 minutes, maybe. Okay. Um, okay. All right. So this listener. Uh, did the polygraph the examiner said you know you're having trouble 
with a couple of questions involving drug crime, and he's never done drugs before. And then he asks a few questions. The first is, is it common for people to fail their first polygraph and be told to come back again? And I, I guess I, I should add that he, he was asked to come back twice, and on the third one, he was finally accepted and, and moved on. So that that scenario is not unusual because the, the yeah you know the the polygraph uh, you know I know some agencies in California it's actually not a requirement even though it's industry standard mm-hmm. so it's industry standard but the state does not say you shall do this there's certain like the psychological you shall but the the polygraph it's not so that's something I think it's beneficial because you you can find deception or where it's more beneficial is when somebody's kind of glossed over something in the background and we weren't able to gloss it out, but then for whatever reason, you know, you, you get the, the confession. So there are times that people will go back to the other polygraph and, and, and you know, a second polygraph. And so um, I think what I, I would recommend if somebody felt like they went through their polygraph and they got hooked up on that question where we've always allowed the person to take the second call or the second uh, polygraph is, is when they've called us and go, look, I think I think I just didn't pass my polygraph. They they had this hardship on this question, and I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't have that in my history, and uh, and for some reason that question tripped me up. And and usually that's when then we look at the background. And I ask the background, is there anything like hinting even close to this? No. All right. Well, let's send them back again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we've we've done that. So uh, as far as like getting through it, I, man, I, I I don't know. You know. <laughs> You, you don't want to act like you're trying to get through it. You know, I mean, like the, there's breathing techniques and stuff like that. If you're doing that and you're we're going to think you're trying to be deceptive and, and, and get you in, and not uh, pass you. So. All right. Um, all right. So last one. I think we've we've hit that one well enough. Um, I and again, I get this question a lot and um, maybe you have some books that that I haven't uh, hit yet, but are there any books that you recommend to uh, whether it's current officers or uh, aspiring officers that you recommend that they pick up? Yeah, I saw that on the thing. Um, You know, I I know it's hard because as cops, you don't read a lot of cop books. So, (laughs) right. Honestly, I I would look at more, um, you know, just general leadership books. I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll just tell you the ones that have helped me in my career. Uh, there's a book called The Courageous Follower uh, that everybody's got leaders and every in, in order, you know, everybody wants to be a leader. So we read leadership books. But uh, how do you every leader has followers? And, mm-hmm. and and even if you are a leader, like I'm a leader in my organization, right, or by rank, you know, I'm also of rank, but you, you know, uh, I have people that follow me or I have a boss. And so how do I have the courage to uh, help my boss be successful? That's a, that's a really good book. Cause then that kind of helps you when you're like, Oh, my sergeant's, you know, got his head up his butt and all this stuff. Uh, that book helped me address that. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of military leadership books uh, that are out there like Jocko Willink's mm-hmm. uh, got his latest one's really good. I forget the title, but you got to be careful with military because again, military and civilian law enforcement, all of those leadership things, they don't always correlate, uh, mm-hmm. but, but some, some books do. Um, um, I'm trying. So he did discipline equals freedom and then dichotomy of leadership. I don't know if he has a newer one out than that, but. 
but yeah, Jocko, Jocko's got some good books on leadership. He's got some good books on leadership. Yeah. And so, um, and then, you know, another book, and this is an older book, but I'm an older guy is the, uh, um, uh, you know, the seven habits of highly influential people. That, that's, that's just a general, uh, you know, and the big thing about that book, it talks about focusing on what's in your circle of influence versus your circle of concern, meaning like, you know, in law enforcement, any job, you can be worried about all these other things, but what do you actually have the, the power and oversight to actually change? Uh, and, and, and recognizing like, yeah, I could be concerned that the chief's making these, these bad decisions, but there's nothing I can do to change those. So what, what do I have in the power of my own control to change or, or focus on to make better I'm going to focus on that and get that done. And then, and that, that's always helped me. Uh, Jocko's latest book is called leadership strategies and tactics. Okay. Um, it's a really good book. So, um, yeah, I, I have not seen that one. I, I guess now that you say it, I remember he did come out with one, but, um, I think the last one a, I read it's was more of a manual, but it's a pretty, it's pretty good. It's got some good tidbits on it. So, uh, leadership strategies and what tactics. And tactics. Okay. Um, all right, Dan, I know you have to go, uh, but we have covered a ton of ground. Uh, I think I did better than I expected because this is a lot, a lot to cover. So you did awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. And, uh, I'll make sure that I share with the audience, you know, your book recommendations and how they can, uh, get a hold of you in, in the show links and everything. So, Perfect. But again, and thank you so much. We also have a uh, we have a hiring video coming out that okay. we just shot because we're tired of going through so many applicants and seeing them kind of fail out. So not to plug my agency, but I will let you know when our video is actually live. We had a professional like video crew kind of do it. And then I can share that with you if that helps somebody uh, get to into law enforcement. Um, I think we need good men and women in this job. Uh, and so whatever we can do to help get people there. And I appreciate you uh, taking part of that. Absolutely. Sounds good, Dan. I'll, uh, I'll okay. get that to, to our listeners when, when you guys have it. Alrighty then that's it for this one, ladies and gents. I hope you enjoyed it. If you loved it, if you think it's going to benefit you in your career path, or it was just a great listen, please share it with somebody. And of course, if you wish you would have had access to this months earlier, uh, just go over to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and become a member of our Strong or Fearless memberships, and you'll get access to early release episodes like this one. And I think the thing that I'm most excited about right now, and I don't think I know, it's our fitness program. And okay, it's don't be confused. I'm not going to hold your hand uh, and teach you how to become a fit human being. The idea is to push each other by working within a, an app, a fitness app, where we can track each other's workouts and compete with each other. We can set up challenges where people can compete for prizes and, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm super excited about that. Um, if it sounds like something that will benefit you and that you're interested in, go to Patreon and check it out. All right, ladies and gents, thanks for tuning in. We love and appreciate each and every single one of you and hope to see you next time as always do good be strong fear nothing